This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. The Meanwhile in Memphis radio show and podcast are brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are me, Rebecca Daly, and my colleague, Anna Thompson. Today, we're taking a closer look at artificial intelligence, commonly shortened to AI, and its impact on the future of our workforce. But before we dive in, we want to talk about some opportunities for our incoming workforce. Anna, you want to kick us off with some great intern and college opportunities? Absolutely. I love that little segue just then. Um, So listen up, everybody, because the final event of Summer Experience will be this Thursday on July 27th, a.k.a. National Intern Day. The celebration will be at Old Dominic and will begin at 5.30 p.m. And it will include a battle of the interns. So that is in addition to the celebration for a summer well spent for collegians and summer interns. So again, the final event of summer experience will be this Thursday on July 27th at Old Dominic. Be there or be square. Also coming up is the... New Memphis Leadership Summit on August 11th. This is the premier leadership conference for leadership development in the Mid-South. So no matter what your sector is, there's a little something you can learn about leveling up as a leader at this event. Uh, You can find tickets and full detailed information on our website at newmemphis.org slash events. Today, we're bringing in local experts to share the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to artificial intelligence. Joining us today are Daphne McFerrin and Meka Egawekwe. Daphne is the executive director of the Benjamin L. Hooks Institute for Social Change at the University of Memphis. She is also a graduate of Yale College and Harvard Law School. We also have Meka Egawekwe. He is the co-founder and executive director of Code Crew, a nonprofit that empowers youth and adults in Memphis from underrepresented communities to be tech innovators. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Daphne and Mega. Welcome, Daphne and Mega. How are y'all this morning? Great. How are you? Pretty good. I can't complain. Um, We have had the privilege of having both of your organizations on our radio show and podcast previously, but I would love to get started by having each of you share a little bit about yourself and your respective organizations. So Daphne, if you could kick us off. Yes. My name is Daphne McFerrin, and I'm the executive director of the Benjamin L. Hooks Institute for Social Change at the University of Memphis. I'm an attorney by training. I spent 17 years in Washington practicing law and private practice, as well as um, ending my legal career there before I came to Memphis with the U.S. Department of Justice, which included being counsel to former Attorney General Janet Reno. I was born in Fayette County, Tennessee. Uh, My parents were civil rights activists, um, so this area is very core to who I was as a child and growing up. And I'm very pleased to be here to contribute my skills and insights to directing the Hooks Institute. The Hooks Institute's mission is teaching, studying, promoting civil rights and social change. We are about civil rights and civil liberties for all people, especially looking at the role that society places on um, looking after the interests of marginalized African-American, and other groups. 
and these include people from a variety of races and ethnic groups. Our work includes research publications, which is why we're here today to talk about our uh, 2023 edition of the policy papers, as well as the creation of documentaries. Um, we have award-winning documentaries, and they are on many of them are on YouTube on the Ben L. Hooks channel on YouTube. We also do community outreach, and that includes um, having outreach programs to uplift African-American male students at the University of Memphis to improve graduation outcomes and career outcomes. And also we have a program called ASAT, A Seat at the Table, which focuses on all women at the University of Memphis to make sure that they have a seat at the table and are prepared for leadership roles when they graduate from the University of Memphis. So I encourage people to visit our website and look at our social media. And I know a website will be provided at the end of the podcast, yes. but it is memphis.edu forward slash Ben Hooks to look at the variety and diversity of work that we do to not only uplift Memphis, but the nation. Thank you so much for all that you do and for bringing your robust experience back to the Mid-South. We very much appreciate it and all of your insights. And um, I believe that the last time you were here with us, it was about a documentary. IWL? Yes, I believe so. So thank you very much for joining us again on this important topic. So what about you, Meka? Um, well, I'm Meka Egwekwe. I'm executive director at Code Crew. Uh, we are a nonprofit based in Memphis that teaches coding and computer science to kids and adults. Uh, actually, we do a lot more than that. Um, you know, while we directly work with a thousand kids a week in schools uh, around Memphis, uh, and, and, and we also train adults to become uh, entry-level software engineers in, in a six-month boot camp, but we also train teachers to teach computer science, and we've done a lot with respect to policy work uh, at the state level for computer science education, including uh, helping author as well as shepherd uh, bills for uh, a statewide computer science education plan, as well as a, a statewide high school graduation requirement for computer science that starts in 2024. Uh, I'm from Memphis also. I grew up here. Um, you know, my name uh, reflects the fact that my father's from uh, Nigeria and West Africa, but but I grew up uh, in Castalia in South Memphis. And so uh, that that's uh, where, uh, you know, I got all my formation in terms of who I am, uh, being raised with my younger brother and as well as my mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. Um, and I uh, was blessed to have uh, uh, lots of educational opportunities uh, from Massachusetts to Georgia to North Carolina uh, and great uh, experience as a software engineer for 19 years before I quit my job seven years ago uh, to, to be full-time executive director at Code Crew. And so this is the gospel of computer science education that I'm trying to spread uh, to make sure that every child in every school and every grade has access to quality computer science education. Uh, we, we at Code Crew see computer science as foundational to our 21st century education, just like we all learned about photosynthesis in school in the 20th century. Uh, kids are growing up in a, an increasingly digital world, and they need to have uh, an understanding of technology. Uh, like I say, we need to make sure that uh, they have algorithms on their menus before they're on the menus of the algorithms. So, so that is what we are all about, uh, and especially with a strong focus on underrepresented groups. Mathematically, in Memphis, that makes a lot of sense. Our largest demographics are the ones that are most underrepresented in computer science uh, and, and tech. And so if, if the cities of today and tomorrow are the ones that are generating the tech producers, uh, uh, our city's relevancy uh, is dependent on us convincing more from those underrepresented groups uh, and connecting more from those underrepresented groups to opportunities in tech. Uh, it's it's not a question of politics, it's a question of math. And so that is what we're about, and Memphis is not alone in that regard, but I think what we are doing in Memphis is um, uh, we're holding ourselves to a national standard such that we can 
show the rest of the country how to bring diversity to this important 21st century element uh, that we call tech. Absolutely. And you are not biased in saying that. It is just a fact that <laughs> Memphis is, you are a help code crew and you are helping uh, Memphis lead that charge for a national scale. So thank you very much for your expertise as well. Thank you. So as you already alluded to, Daphne, one of the main reasons we invited you both here today was to chat about the Benjamin L. Hooks Institute and the policy papers that y'all um, recently published and make us intersection with that because he authored the impact of automation on our workforce. So we here at New Memphis took time to read through all of the policy papers, and we very much encourage all of our listeners to do the same. Um, we will get into the nitty gritty of some of them and about what they do, who they are for, how they will be used and things like that. But we very much encourage you to use the link in the show notes to go read over all of the policy papers for this year. And we are excited to dig a little bit deeper into Mega's insights as well a little bit later in the show. So, Daphne, I'm going to ask a little bit of a basic question here, but could you give an overview of what a policy paper is, how it's used, why that's become a focus for the Hooks Institute? A policy paper, some people refer to it as a white paper. The focus of the Hooks Institute's policy paper was to create um, a publication that focused on a contemporary issue impacting Memphis, but was accessible to the general public, not uh, so bogged down in college, uh, I'm sorry, academic jargon or discipline jargon that it would not be accessible to the public. And so the goal was to write the policy papers at a New York Times level, reading level, and deal with complicated issues. So we're now in our ninth edition of the policy papers. We've had people write from uh, staff people at the Federal Reserve of St. Louis uh, who are uh, economists focusing on the upward mobility of men and boys, the, the upward or downward mobility of men and boys of color and how we need to address it. We've addressed issues concerning housing, which has been quoted by uh, Pew Charitable Trust. We focused on automation in 2018 primarily driven by a video that I saw by Boston Dynamics that had um, a dog, which was a robot, opening doors and allowing other dogs to pass through. And now if you look at any of Boston Dynamics videos, they have robots that are basically breakdancing. And so when you see the mobility of the robots and their agility, it raises questions about the future of the workforce because robots have clearly the potential to work unlimited hours. They don't require compensation beyond the initial investment. They don't take sick days. They don't have pension funds. There's no human resource offices needed for a robot. They don't talk back. They don't talk back. (laughs) So when you look at the bottom line of your budget, there must be some advantages there. Well, corporations, and I can't say that corporations don't have a a moralistic ground where they're concerned about their workforce and people, but corporations are driven by profit and also efficiency. So even if they understand and regret the impact it has on people maintaining employment, there's an efficiency value that we cannot discount. And in all truthfulness, truthfulness, the Hooks Institute uses a chat GPI um, because when we write, not these kinds of papers, but let's say we send out an announcement, mm-hmm. you know, 
I tend to write lawyerly. The staff tends to write academically. And so we need pithy, spicy language. And we will put in chat GPI, the original language, and see what it comes up with. And sometimes, you know, we'll use it. Sometimes we won't. But we've been very surprised at the quality of some of the prompts. Now, ChatGPI responds to prompts, uh, and I'll get into that more. There's some things about ChatGPI we have not found useful. But my point is, even in a small organization like ours, it has added value to the work of the staff. So I do not think that the industry is going to ignore uh, robots of value added. But the question is, then what becomes of society? What are our obligations to people? And how do we as a country moving into, I think we're in the fourth um, revolution of work. How do we move into this in a, in a morally responsible way? That That is the question. And so I'll stop here, but in this discussion, why do we do this work? Well, often cities like Washington, D.C., New York, or San Francisco will first address these policy issues than smaller cities like Memphis. Um, and I think Memphis leaders have to get out in front of this. One, because it will, it impacts first, it's going to impact everybody, but it will impact first disproportionately those who are employed in traditional jobs, which are disproportionately in Memphis, warehouse jobs, transportation jobs, driving jobs, cleaning jobs, cooking jobs. Um, And we have people of all races in those jobs. Artificial intelligence will uh, double down on sort of the impact of automation. And Memphis might have the most to lose by these advances if we do not think about how we are going to shape the economy and the workforce in light of these changing technologies. You are not going to stop them. In fact, Mm -hmm. they are, um, some of them are just amazing to even watch and see and observe. So we need to get out in front of this now. And, you know, we write the papers. We don't change. We don't create the policy. But we need our state legislatures, our city councils, our city governments to start looking at these issues seriously. Because the absence of work creates political disruption. Because when people are out of work, they often attribute it to factors not related to the true reasons they're out of work. Like one, they're not no longer relevant in, ter- in terms of their skill set to the economy. And so we have enough disruption in this, in this economy already, enough conspiracies regarding that disruption. This is not a conspiracy. This is happening. And it has the potential to improve life, but it is something that must be controlled and monitored. I would love to hear your kind of... Um we like to call it hitchhike when you hitchhike on an idea, like our kind of a follow-up with that makeup about what kind of intrigued you about participating with the Benjamin Hooks policy papers this year. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, what, first of all, I'm honored to, to have been asked and included uh, in this, uh, in what's the now ninth edition of, of these policy papers. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly honored and thankful to, to share some, some perspective with respect to, uh, especially the impact of automation on the workforce, and and that's not a new problem. Of course, uh, 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 anyone who reads my paper, I, I, I start with that uh, point that that that's been a challenge uh, with each respective industrial revolution, um, from the first to now the fourth. Uh, if, you, if you think back to the first being uh, the, the steam engine and what that did for 
uh, to world economies, and then the second being like oil and electricity and how that changed uh, the world, and then the third being computing and the internet and how that changed the world, and now this fourth where we've got artificial intelligence and and uh, machine learning and how those things interact uh, with humans, especially how we how we are ourselves integrating with this <laughs> this technology uh, in so many ways where you can even three um, uh, D print. Uh, yes. replacement limbs for yourself uh, and things like that right so it is it is it, it's 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 what's interesting is how exponential uh it's always been exponential but but when you start with the math of exponential exponents when, when it's very small numbers it climbs small uh, slowly but when the numbers start to get big it get big and we're at that big point now right where things are are um changing so radically that uh, we have to give serious thought uh, to back up what Dr. McFerrin just said. Um, we have to give serious, serious thought, uh, an appropriate thought to, um, and predictive thought on how uh, we need to rethink society, reimagine society, such that um, the impacts uh, on everyone, you know, uh, right down to society's existence, that those things are are. Um, that we manage and address them now before uh, the exponents uh, outrace us <laughs> in this regard. Right. Right? And so, so uh, yeah, so the when, when I think about technology and the workplace, especially at places like Memphis, where uh, arguably in 10 years, where a lot of people who are slinging boxes in the middle of the night um, are won't be doing that because robots will be doing that. In fact, robots are doing a lot of that already. Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, what, what, how are we ensuring that uh, opportunities to upskill and reskill are there such that that relevancy that Dr. McFerrin just spoke about, uh, we can double down on ensuring that people uh, keep themselves relevant? Uh, because the consequences of not doing that uh, can be dire. It can be uh, existential to society, ultimately. So I'm going to call you Mecca. Call me Daphne. Okay, right on. <laughs> um, yes, this is just friends, friends having conversation about artificial intelligence, you know. Right on, right on. <laughs> and thank you, Mecca, for the shout out for the edition coming out, the ninth edition. You're in the eighth edition. Oh, okay. So I can't count. Look at that. <laughs> so maybe they'll invite us back, you know, for the ninth edition. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> so, you know, one of the... Mecca's absolutely right. And, you know, the one of the things that um, I like to sort of bring people into this discussion is, you know, science fiction. And, you know, science fiction is very interesting because it predicts the future, you know, mm -hmm. unknowingly uh, before it happens. And I wanted people to think about Star Trek, the next generation and counselor Troy. So if you're familiar with counselor Troy, she gauges the emotional impact of stress. She's on the bridge with captain John Luke Picard and as events are taking place on the Starship Enterprise, she is always keeping check on our people responding at an appropriate emotional level, using the technology of the Starship and dealing with the difficulties when they encounter foreign populations and other worlds. And so I find it interesting that they put uh, Counselor Troy who is obviously a humanities person beside the captain on the bridge. And why I think Star Trek got it right is because when we often think about automation and robotics, what's left out of it is this impact on 
the humanities, humans. And the fact of the matter is advances in technology, production, the creation of things in our world should be for the benefit and the uplift of human beings or why else create it. And so what I'd like to see coming out of some of these discussions, because you hear everywhere now this emphasis on increasing the capacity and outreach of STEM education. Mm -hmm. That's everywhere. But what's left out of the discussion is the integration of people who are who have an understanding of history, an understanding of the impact of the advancement of technology on history, and people who make ethical and moral decisions based on a solid foundation of understanding the humanities. There has to be an integration of that. You sometimes see it in hospitals where there'll be an an ethics board to review a decision about a patient. Mm -hmm. You know, what is appropriate care in view of all the factors concerning the patient? but you're not hearing it in the context of technology. And this is this impact. Uh, it's all, Robots are already performing surgery. You can get online a lot of the legal materials, materials you used to have to go to an attorney to get, including wills and power of attorneys, uh, leases, et cetera. Uh, I was looking at a report, the World Economic Forum report, called The Future of Jobs, and um, this came out in 2023, and it concluded, and I'm quoting here, employers estimate that 44% of worker skills will be disrupted in the next five years. Sizable minorities of companies judge reading, writing, and mathematics, global citizenship, sensory processing abilities, manual dexterity, endurance, and precision to be declining in importance in their workers. That's frightening. (laughs) Yeah. So what they're saying is they expect this to be automated. Yeah. Right. And who doesn't fall into this category? That's right. I mean. Everyone at this table. Right. Every kind of skill set. I feel like every job needs reading, writing, (laughs) arithmetic, correct? And and chat GPT especially can even write code. So as, as a software engineer. Uh, it can do that too. So it's coming but for you too, making it's coming not, for it, everybody. It's not just coming for me in communication. <laughs> and, and, and so, so, um, and so that's that's why it, it, we need to think about. It. We need to uh, we need to accept the reality that it is coming. It's here. Technology mm-hmm. is here, and the technology technology is advancing, right? And we can't stop that. But what we can do is ensure that that technology is uh, is developed um, from an. Uh, uh, Know, equality and uh, an equi- equitable uh, perspective, uh, and and as well as its benefits are distributed equitably. Right. Uh, one of the points I make in my paper is about the fact that much of this technology that we are talking about today uh, was is the result of government investment. Uh, you know, uh, from the National Science Foundation to the National Institutes of Health, to all kinds of entities that, uh, and including military entities mm-hmm. that we all mm-hmm. paid for. Right. Uh, we should all benefit from it. Shouldn't it should it shouldn't be such that uh, it's structured where only the uh, the wealthy uh, the the owners the the financiers uh, benefit from it, which is unfortunately how we it's structured today. Even though we all paid to make it a reality, right? Uh, to give it the seed in the first place, and so uh, we have to we have to think about that too, right? Is is like uh, uh, you know if reading, writing, and, and math are becoming less and less important in the workplace, which means all of us are arguably becoming less and less important, uh, um, that 
that we flip that on its head to where uh, we have policies established such that uh, we remember the real reason why we have technology in the first place, which is to solve human problems. Um, uh, that that is uh, foundational uh, to what we are doing, and uh, and we we can have a, a, a prosperous society, and we can look back on history and see. Right, uh, I mentioned uh, each one of these different uh, revolutions, industrial industrial revolutions that we've had before, and and each one you can look back and see the mistakes that were made in terms of how. Uh, society benefited versus the wealthy benefiting, and right, and then we've had, uh, you know, lots of shakeups and even world wars <laughs> around some of this, right? And so uh, we don't have to. We can be students of history now. We can. We don't have to repeat those mistakes. Right. We can actually be uh, let that inform our future, uh, with, and we have an opportunity now to do that. So, uh, so th- that's that's part of what we preach to, <laughs> in ensuring that uh, people embrace the technology, and that's why it, you know, Code Crew. I, I say again. Kids need to understand algorithms for the algorithms consume them, right? And uh, they need to know how that's, that stuff works in this digital world uh, so that they can actually shape it and develop it and influence it, right? And as well as be informed with respect to uh, effective policies in that regard. Right? So uh, it, and we, we've got to do that. And, and, um, and I don't want to scare anyone, <laughs> but, but it, it is foundationally so, uh, important to human society that we that we give that the attention that it it must have. Absolutely. Now I love it, Mecca, that you says that what are our ethical responsibilities? Mm-hmm. I think that's what we have to keep focused on because the automation train has left the track. Mm-hmm. And even Bill Gates says that artificial intelligence can be used to reduce world, world disparities and to solve world problems. But he said it is highly unlikely it will be used that way, absent focused attention on that. Mm-hmm. We have to think about, and it goes to Mecca point, that these advances in artificial intelligence automation should just not benefit the wealthy and the poor be under this kind of surveillance and not be qualified for potential future jobs. Mm-hmm. So that's it's like a one-two punch. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so what are we creating? We're creating a permanent underclass of people. And when you do that, you're creating mass social disruption, and that creates revolutions. So we have to think about this in terms of what's in the best interest in the health of the democracy. Um, So when we look at, you know, recent hearings, and this is why I love Cortland Becton's paper, is that we didn't get it published in time enough. Her paper she had written a few years ago and then uh, there are recent hearings in May, I believe, of this year. With uh, he's the senator from uh, uh, Connecticut, Senator Richard Blumenthal, where he held Senate hearings. And if you recall, giving the opening statement was uh, a chat uh, GPT using recordings from his prior speeches to give an opening address about the pitfalls and perils of AI. And he's sitting there with his mouth closed. And so it shows that someone who speaks often and whose voice is recorded, that the artificial intelligence can manipulate it to say whatever the message is, the person who is doing the manipulation. Whatever agenda they're pushing, whatever angle you want it to be. And that's actually um, timely is something, all of this is timely, but something that uh, piqued my interest a little bit was that the Actors and Writers Guild was striking. And part of the reason that they were doing so, their union was striking, was because of the little um, piece of language that their name, image, and likeness could be used in perpetuity without consent or compensation. And they were like, uh, what? No, which thank is, you. Which is crazy, yeah. They were like, let me not 
you know, be in this one film and then never get paid again and you just use my name image of like no, this that's in it. perpetuity. No. They were I, like, what? No, it's going to be interesting to watch that because there are a lot of issues with the that the writer strike. One, the writing. Yes. That you can use ChatGPT to create a storyline or an idea or you give them prompts, you know, from, mm-hmm. you know, you lay off the writers, but you have some of the series already, series one through four, right. and they know who the characters are. They kind of know what the plot is, and Chad GPT writes the other three. Pick it up, yeah. Right, you know, and put people out of work, but using the uh, uh, the talent and resources, which ordinarily would be copyrighted or attributable to the writer to advance the programming of this episode, you know. So in our office, for example, but we, we didn't... there. I don't want to get into all the functions of ChatGPT because no, I've yeah, used it, yeah. but I'm not an expert at it. But we asked it to create a film. Like, what, what we asked, could it identify any films on a particular civil rights leader? It couldn't find any, so it created one on its own. It's, it created, <laughs> so, you know, like, who, what's, what happened in the film, what the person did. And it was fictional, but it did what we asked, right? So that's what it can do, Um and so it's not a real film, but it created one. It's that so, blurred line between right. reality and fiction. Yeah, and in fact, they call that hallucinating. <laughs> I mean, and it literally, that's what it's called when it makes up facts. Um, and, um, and, you know, it's important to recognize that technologies like that uh, can clearly be abused, but it should be like a great research assistant, right? It, 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 and I use it, I use ChatGPT almost every day, right, uh, to help me uh you know, think through ideas and concepts to make sure that if I'm speaking or if I'm writing about something that I'm not omitting some important things that, you know, um, and so forth. So it can be helpful. Well, that's what, okay. So I wanted to, I don't mean Mm -hmm. to interrupt you, but I do want to take a quick minute and talk about the positives of Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence and automation in the workforce, because there are distinct value adds, which we spoke about briefly at the beginning of the episode. I want to take a minute to talk about specifically in Memphis and the Mid-South, where each of you has seen or experienced any value adds to the workforce here in Memphis. Um, and then we can kind of get back onto the misconceptions and our challenges um, and task our listeners to, you know, be able to speak up and activate in that way. But I am curious about the positive things that automation has to offer. Well, I'll, I'll share, start with my own experience, then I can speak maybe more broadly about Memphis. But, you know, uh, I'm a great software engineer. Uh, you know, if you need something and I can speak in JavaScript and Python and all different other programming languages, right? But but I was always a, a pretty weak writer in terms of getting started. It was always a challenge to get started with writing. And I, and I just said to myself, I'm just a terrible writer. And uh, I'm actually not, right? I'm actually a better writer than I give myself credit. Uh, and uh, But getting started often is a, is a challenge. And so I use ChatGPT to help me get started. I'll engage with it with a conversation. And before I know it, I'm writing something, right? Um, and so that 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 that's a big help to me to be to to accelerate uh you know some of the things I should be doing as an executive director of a nonprofit I should be speaking <laughs> writing and begging right and so, <laughs> and so so those those are those are uh so that it helps in the, in those ways um um you know I I see you know it, again when when we make sure that we embrace a culture that that embraces the technology right that ensure that people understand the technology that there are all kinds of ways it can benefit folks. Uh, so, you know, ChatGPT is a generative AI, meaning it can it can it can generate new things based on old things, based on old examples, right? And uh, uh, and so so it's it's limited in, in terms of of its creativity, actually, from that perspective. But uh, but you can still use it 
to to uh, help with your writing or help with um, with um, ideas for your business that you're trying to flesh out, right? Uh, entrepreneurship. Memphis has a strong entrepreneurship tradition, right? Uh, it goes back even before Piggly Wiggly and and Clarence Saunders, right? Yes, uh, and certainly before uh, FedEx and Fred Smith, uh, and 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 lots of great ideas. Are, are born in this town and and around and all over the country and the world, um, and um, it you know, to engage with technology to flesh out those ideas uh, is huge potential for for the for the young entrepreneur. Um, you know, uh, there's when you look at again even the in the workplace, uh, you know, the automation of warehouses. We have lots and lots of warehouses in Memphis, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know that that the we want machines to be doing things that are more dangerous, right? Right. <laughs> we we don't want humans to be risking their health doing these things, but but the humans can actually, uh, you know, make, uh, you know, uh, contribute to the improvement of that technology, right? Uh, and but the humans should be given the opportunity to be trained on that technology and make sure at least at least we need to have a culture that again humans understand technology well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and such that such that uh, our workplace is safer. Right, uh, and I think I think machines uh, AI helps with that. Right, um, in fact, think about think about the 80s and 90s. It was pretty common to to see a plane crash. Right, mm-hmm. uh, at least once a year, you would hear about in the in the in the media about a plane having crashed in this country. Uh, when was the last time you thought you you saw a commercial plane crash in this country? Right, it's been years, and a lot of that has been the technology making it safer. Right, uh, and so. So there are lots of lots of areas working in every field, especially in those dangerous fields, uh, which uh, too many folks in Memphis are working in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's lots of potential there. But again, um, you know, because the machines uh, uh, can work 24 hours a day, because the machines aren't going to complain, because the machines are, um, you know, are cheaper. Basically, um, um, you know, we our structures are such that well, well, there's some money to be saved. Give it to the rich guy, <laughs> right? The temptation and, is there, right? For the, for the abuse of the morality or the ethics, right? And so we need to be, we need to recognize we all invested in making this um, um, a benefit for for everyone. We should all also benefit from that. But um, so, uh, so anyway, I think that I, that you know. So again, we shouldn't be afraid of the technology. We should embrace it. We should just make sure that we have the right policies in place uh, and the right mindset in place, such that um, the benefit is. To, to us all and, and make sure that the education is in place, that people understand the technology to embrace it and not fear it. In thinking about the benefits that technology can bring, I, I'm curious about what opportunities broadly in Memphis are available for upskilling and reskilling, or is that something that is organizationally dependent, company dependent? Are there ways that our community can do a better job of investing in the human side of this workforce. Sure. So I, I think of that from education and a, you know, business perspective, right? I think anyone who's running a business ought to be thinking about their employees and valuing them as as human beings who have lives who also want to progress and not seeing them just as cogs or used tissue that you throw away, right? Uh, I, that there ought to be uh, a recognition that that people have should be able to grow in careers, right? And you should be as a as a leader in a company, be a manager, director, owner of a company, 
have an orientation that you want your people to develop in your careers. Um, and so, when I, you know, when you think about opportunities in that regard, I think every business have an, has an opportunity to make their people better and stronger, right? And I, I know there's always a fear of, of, okay, you can make them so strong that they'll go to someone else. Uh, you know, when you invest in people, I think, you know, uh, there's a, there's a people invest in a great place to work, right? So, uh, so I think there's opportunity for any business in that regard. I can speak specifically about, specifically about what we do at Code Crew uh, when it comes to um, opportunities. We, we, in our adult coding bootcamp, which we call the Code Crew Code School, we train adults in six months to become entry-level software engineers, and then we help them get jobs that pay on average $55,000 a year or higher. And so uh, that opportunity exists now. Every six months, we're graduating a new gr uh, crop of uh, mostly, they're mostly 18 to 30-year-olds who take advantage of this. Uh, but... Um, but but they are uh, more than quadrupling their incomes uh, by doing this program, right? When, when they're coming in averaging about $12,000 a year and coming out averaging $55,000 a year. Um, those are the entry-level salaries, right? So I've got several that are making $100,000 a year or more uh, once they've been in a couple of years. And so so it is, it is uh, so th there are real opportunities like that. Uh, and Code Crew is not the only um, uh, upskill oriented organization, workforce development organization. There's uh, other great ones like uh, Lab4 and Technado One and uh, in the tech space. And then there are others that are in other spaces that I probably know a lot less about. Uh, but but uh, but there are lots of opportunities. Of course, we, we don't do a great job in Memphis of uh, getting the word out and sharing about these kinds of opportunities for people. And, uh, and, and you know, quite frankly, we, we don't do a good job of, of, um, of just ensuring that uh, the the right investments educationally are still made uh, that such that people are ready to take advantage of opportunities. So, uh, so we need to. There's a lot of work we need to do in Memphis and, along those lines. But those those that's what comes to mind in terms of broadly any business, and then certainly what we do at at, at Code Crew. I, I would encourage people who want to know more about it to explore what the state of state of Tennessee is is how it's investing in those areas. I can assure you. You know, you asked about what companies are doing. No company, I think, would disclose it because of a competitive advantage uh, about what how they are going to use artificial intelligence or upscale, upscale or rescale their employees. But I can, I can assure you, any company in Memphis that has a state or national presence has to look at these issues and is looking at its impact on its workforce, uh, how it might uh, create a reduced workforce, how it might... Um, increase efficiency. They simply must do so in order to uh, stay current and relevant to uh, some of the emerging technologies that impact them. And, you know, they're not going to disclose it openly because that will create um, a newspaper article from one of the local papers, right? And then it also instills fear from people, which may not be uh, necessary. But I also want to go back to one of Mecca's points about investment. And he was saying, you know, we just want to make sure that not just the rich benefit from AI. And I, I think he made an important point. There are two kinds of investments. There's one, you know, rich people, wealthy people are more able to invest money in the technology, in the creation of the technology, in the marketing, and the, the commercialization of the technology. So they're the financial beneficiaries of the technology. We also have a second kind of investment, and that's investment in people. And so we want to make sure that we are investing in these various areas at appropriate levels to maintain employment, to maintain good skills. 
So we have to think about investment in two ways, not just the investment in industry, but the investment in people. And all too frequently, the investment in people is ignored. I And also want to go back to Anna, to your point, we did start the discussion because when we talk about automation, it's like, you know, it's like uh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. It's like, you know, and it's, it will happen very rapidly, just like when flat screen TVs came out. They were excessively <laughs> expensive the first two years. Now you can go in and you get a big old screen TV for $150, right? Right. And so I expect that this will just accelerate, given the number of people who are in the uh, technological industry and the desire for it and its use for it. But in general... Innovations don't survive unless they somehow increase efficiency or serve mankind. And I'm making an exception for war machines. We're not talking about that. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about cars, Mm -hmm. houses, computers. It has to achieve transportation. Yeah, Yeah, it has to achieve a level of comfort, efficiency, and some benefit to society to stay in production. So here are some benefits. And um, this was pointed out, and I read a lot of Bill Gates because I don't always. Some of his examples are kind of weird, but some of the, <laughs> but some of the things he says are very, um, I think, insightful. So, for example, he sees that artificial intelligence can allow education to be tailored to the individual needs of a student. So, let's say you have a student who is experiencing difficulty in reading in the fifth grade, and you have a software program that speaks and. Um, changes according to how the student interacts with the program and how fast the student is learning. So this is tailored individual instruction to boost the the reading or math level of a student based on software. So in the immediate future, we can see AI becoming like a personal assistant. That's very real. So the so the AI knows what my Outlook calendar looks like. It knows like you know I generally don't prefer morning meetings. You know it knows not to schedule morning meetings. It kind of knows who what's a um, spam email or someone I haven't heard from or don't know versus the community of professionals I ordinarily deal with. And it might it would rank who um, who I should respond to right, first. Okay. You know it could control my home environment. You know while you know and it, it, that's happening now. Yeah. But it may become more tailored to to who I am. So instead of me having to hire a secretary or a personal assistant, I have artificial intelligence performing those those needs for me. Um, I've worked in very big organizations where, um, you know, not the Hooks Institute, but even before where there were like 100 lawyers or whatever there may be. But when I'm in those organizations, I am forced to deal with people of different genders, different races, different ethnic groups, different sexual orientations, different political views. And in some ways, it's a, a socialization system of how to navigate respect and uh, create a common unity among so many different kinds of people. Sports does the same thing. It builds empathy. It, it's built builds empathy and a sense of camaraderie. Yes. And so I'm not a sports fan, but during I'm not. It's like my, <laughs> nobody in my family was. So I didn't grow up. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know when the Super Bowl is. I don't know anything. So, but I realized during COVID that what sports, what sport do, does for the nation is that it creates these people who ordinarily might not agree. You know, they just become crazy if it becomes from one team and they're all, it's It's a a unifier. unifier. It's a unifier. So what happens when you take that out, when you take it out Mm -hmm. and there's no unifying um, reason to collaborate, communicate, live with people because 
you're you have a disincentive to do so because you're not engaged with them. And so this is where I think that we do really have to think it's beyond sort of, you know, the widget or moving the box. It is what is the social impact of all of this. And we may not see it immediately, but we need to plan on it. Significant. Right. Yeah. It's that significant secondary kind of impact that will come from whatever. That could come from if we don't think these things. I mean, COVID in a way, we saw it a bit in COVID. Oh, absolutely. Right. So COVID is like a a hangnail compared to, you know, what artificial intelligence and automation is going to have on the workforce for decades to come. And we need, we need to anticipate, too, that there are going to be forces who who disagree, right? Uh, who, uh, for example, um, I, I saw recently that Elon Musk is going to uh, you know, try to develop his own AI-based, uh, you know, competitor to ChatGPT because he doesn't like the fact that ChatGPT was built in a way that has some ethics built in, right? He, he doesn't want that in there, right? Uh, and so so how do we actually still, um, you know, factor in all the societal implications that we, we've been talking about uh, against the headwinds of some who who don't care at all, in fact, who, who almost want to slash and burn it uh, and just see what happens, right? Uh, who, who think it's just cool to just... Uh, uh, introduce chaos, uh, and so uh, so how how do we? That's why we have to be strategic. We have to uh, re- again remember the human beings as as the center. Um, you know, it's 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 complicated. And if it were easy, we'd snap our fingers and it would right. all be done. This right. is just the tip of the iceberg in this kind of conversation. Right. So, Mecca, I love you. Point you pointed that out because if you go to ChatGPT, you will see that their guidelines, and they will say we don't. This software cannot be used in this way, and will not respond in this way. And so for example, it will not spew out racist content, you know, it 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 among other things. Yeah. So, you know, I appreciate the fact that in developing it, and it's still in development, those things um were taken into consideration by the developer, which shows why it's so important to have federal and state oversight of these initiatives. It is is there a lot of diverse representation? My assumption is that no, that it's being built by people who aren't necessarily going to be the ones using or harmed potentially by that technology. Like what could come out, what fruit could be born of having a more diverse technology workforce, having the developers who are building this representative of the communities that would be using it? Diversity can only improve the technology. In fact, all the things we've been speaking about, facial recognition, for example, it's pretty good at pointing out white males. Right, but if you're female, uh, it's less accurate. If you're not white, it's less accurate. Right, if if you're a black woman, especially, uh, it can be downright egregious. It might not even recognize you as a human being. Uh, 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 Joy and Joy is going to kill me for mispronouncing her last name. Uh, Boy Lo Wami, Boy Lo, she's going to kill me. But uh, we're but sorry, she, Joy, <laughs> <laughs> who graduated from Cordova High School, but is now a national leader. Uh, founded the Algorithmic Justice League and 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 doing a lot of important work. Um, uh, at MIT and elsewhere around um, artificial intelligence, especially around facial recognition, uh, she 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 points this out with an, points this out with an interesting uh, example you can see on the internet of her walking up to a screen uh, and it failing to recognizing her recognize her as a human being. She puts on a white mask and then it recognizes her as a human being. Right? And so um, the, so the the technology is flawed. Uh, in that sort of way, and so many other ways, uh, where um, I think even even in, in the uh, policy papers, there's reference to 
uh, dark-skinned people being less recognized by automated vehicles uh, to be human beings. Yes, I've actually seen this in some of the research, yeah. And so, or so, at night or things like that. It can't read a child based on height and things like that, yeah. Right, and so, so these are direct reflections of the lack of diversity in the development and the, uh, and the data sets that support these techno- technology, right, technologies. And so, um, so all the more reason why we need to make sure that uh, this is in, embedded in education, uh, that that uh, everyone gets it. That's why we worked hard to make computer science a high school graduation requirement in Tennessee. Every kid ought to graduate with knowing at least uh, something about how this technology works. And in every instance, it's more than just the technology, ethics is integrated into that, right? So whether it's a class like computer science principles, AP computer science principles or, or computer science foundations, ethics are just as important. Uh, as the as the technology itself, and so, uh, but the the lack of diversity in 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 tech is is uh, is resulting in inferior technology, and and if we recognize that if if we turn the dial upward with respect to diversity, uh, in every stage of the pipeline, we'll get better technology. Um, you know, the big problem with one of the big problems with facial recognition today is 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 that not only uh, it may not recognize you as a human being. It may recognize you as someone else. Right? You may be accused of a crime, for example, uh, because it thinks you're someone else, and it's going to insist on that. Right? Uh, we've got to, you know, we can't accept that. Right? That's just you know, we can't accept that. Right? And so, so um, just so the way I see it, though, it's so many opportunities. <laughs> right? Uh, there's a problem. We're producing inferior technology. We think it's cool, but it's inferior. Right? <laughs> That's an entrepreneurship opportunity, right? We ought to be grabbing that by the horns, right? Uh, uh, some enterprising, um, capable, skilled person uh, building businesses around addressing those gaps uh, since if, if the originators of the technology are going to fail to do so, right? But really, uh, we need to hit it at the source and, and encourage that uh, from top to bottom. And, and it starts, starts with education, but it goes right through uh, through a respect for the ethics and and a goal and outcome of having superior technology. Well, Mika, I am curious, how can folks get involved with Code Crew? How can our community invest in the work that you're doing to build diversity, to build a more educated workforce in the tech sector? Well, there are lots of ways to get involved with Code Crew, certainly. So, uh, and we have room for those who are technical and non-technical. Right? Oh, thank goodness! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, in fact, um, uh, next month, in, uh, the first week of August, we're having our our biggest youth event of the year. It's our hackathon. We've got a, a more than a hundred kids coming together to actually uh, build their own AI solutions. They're gonna uh, they're gonna uh, develop using uh, the technology that undergirds ChatGPT called OpenAI. OpenAI, right? And they're going to and, and they're going to have this challenge of, okay, you build a solution to make society better, whatever that means, right? And, um, and they're going to compete for prizes uh, for that. And so there, uh, we, we cannot pull off that kind of event without both technical and non-technical volunteers. So, there's, so immediately we, uh, there's opportunities there, right? But, but what we do at Code Crew, we, we, we teach directly in schools. We do after-school programs. We do a number of events. Uh, we're going to do increasingly events in Memphis and beyond. Uh, and, and so, so uh, there are lots of volunteer opportunities to, to help make those things happen. Um, you know, in addition to that, uh, you know, obviously we're a nonprofit organization. We accept donations, uh, certainly, uh, uh, sponsorships and gifts. And so um, I would be remiss in, if I didn't do that because I remember I said uh, my job is about speaking, writing, and begging, right? And so, um, you know, um, 
uh, speaking opportunities in particular, right? Uh, our adult code school, for example, you know, we we want our graduates to not just be, you know, uh, you know, to be skilled and, and be software engineers and make more money, but what does it mean now to have more money, right? Right? Uh, we don't want what I jokingly call that ball player syndrome, where now you got all this money, you don't know what to do with it because you haven't had any financial management, right? So we we work hard uh, with uh, partners like Bank of America and the Collective Blueprint and others to make sure they get that. Uh, and that includes also having guest speakers come in to speak about not just financial management, but uh, how to how to conduct yourself in the workplace. All kinds of professionalism skills and essential skills, as we call them, are re- great opportunities to to plug in. It, 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 you know, come and do a lunch and learn with us. We'll feed you. You just do you do you do the teaching part of the learning, right, for that hour of over lunch with our students. Uh, and it's not just the adults that we serve that need that, but the kids need that too. High school. Uh, middle school, we go down as far as kindergarten, right? Now. So lots of lots of opportunities to plug in, if, to donate your time uh, as a speaker or as a mentor to some of the uh, kids and young adults that we serve. So, uh, and I'm just scratching the surface there, really. Uh, I, if my team were here, they, they'd have their own respective lists uh, from from the uh, K-12 team to the adult code school team to our teacher training team, because we train teachers to teach computer science too. Uh, and so how to do classroom management, uh, and be an effective computer science teacher, you know, uh, lots of opportunities to plug in with us in that way. So I can go on and on. But Okay, so that's the problem with asking someone who's head <laughs> of a nonprofit you know, how people can get engaged. So I want to just uh, plug the Hooks Institute's editors of the policy papers and let people know how they can uh, stay in touch with us. I would be remiss in not noting that uh, Daniel Keel, who is the FedEx professor of law at the Cecil C. Humphrey School of Law, is an editor of the policy papers, along with uh, Dr. Elena De La Vega, who is a professor in the School of Social Work at the University of Memphis. The three of us solicit, develop the theme, and create um, the overall um, vision of the policy papers each year. And we have been working together for a number of years to do that. And we are doing it again because. We want, you know, I often hear, and I don't think this is true, you know, like uh, people will, you know, people are so busy going about their day-to-day lives. They're not thinking about the big issues in Memphis, you know, the the general population. And we've got to get away from saying it. And if we're doing it, we have to stop doing it because we got to think about the big issues. And I encourage people, if they want to find out more about the Hooks Institute's work, um, because we do this kind of work every day. We also have what we call the edutainment, and some of our films are on WKNO, so we believe you can also learn and have fun at the same time, and we can direct you to some of that. So you can join the Hooks Institute's mailing list on our website, or you can email the Hooks Institute at bhi at memphis.edu. BHI has just been Hooks Institute. Ben Hooks Institute, bhi at memphis.edu. And like, surprisingly to most people, like Code Crew, uh, we're, while we're grateful for some university funding, our direct program costs, like the, uh, the, the printing of the policy papers, um, the payment for our program outreach for students, those come from donated dollars. And I really um, look forward to meeting members of our community who, like so many of you working in this, who are in this room today, are working toward the uh, better good for all of us. And, and if I could just add to, I mean, um, we just another opportunity to engage is is partnerships, collaborations, right? Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that 
our respective networks are large enough such that we intersect in this way, right? And so, uh, you know, we we have a long history of of an inferiority complex in Memphis of of uh, uh, you know talking about all the deficits, right? When we when we really have these strengths of collaborations, absolutely, like, as evidenced by our presence here today, uh, and you know, in so many other ways, and so there are opportunities to partner. Uh, that we may not have uh, flexed on like we should in Memphis. We ought to do more of that too. So, uh, and I'm again, I'm honored to have been included in uh, this now eighth round of, <laughs> of the policy papers, and looking forward to the ninth round and reading that as well. But, uh, but uh, this is just one example, of, as well as our friends here at the New Memphis Institute uh, of of collaboration, and that that's really that really can be our superpower, right? I say all the time, Memphis is too small and too to behind, arguably, uh, to not be collaborating. Right? Uh, that's that's those are our opportunities to get ahead. So, so lots of ways to 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 uh, to get engaged. Well said, Omega Daphne. Thank you so much for joining us today, and also for the work that you do every day. You are helping to build a stronger and brighter future for not only Memphis but for our community as a whole. And we are grateful that you are choosing to do that here in Memphis. Thank you so much. Such an interesting conversation, Rebecca. I feel like we barely even scratched the surface of the layers with which artificial intelligence is going to impact the workforce moving forward. There is a lot to think about there, but I think what was most interesting to me is to zoom out a little bit. And I feel like the connecting factor in everything we talked about today was blind spots. Mm-hmm taking a look at the aspects of any piece of our work and recognizing that we don't always have all of the pieces of the puzzle and maybe taking a pause to think about how an action may have an impact that we're not thinking about just because it's it's in our blind spot. And right. what are the areas of our work, not just related to technology and AI, that we could put a little more effort into seeing those blind spots? I totally agree. Um, Whether you're talking about AI in terms of something fun, like creating funny pictures or chat GPT can create, you know, new song lyrics or things like that. But then also um, keeping it at the forefront, the humanity of it all and the empathy and the importance of that human connection. And just like you mentioned, we as humans have blind spots. So, of course, our technology will, too. So I think taking kind of we've talked about audits before on the podcast, but kind of taking an audit of your own personal blind spots and the way that you're interacting with others and the way that you're collaborating to make sure that the greatest good is kind of at the forefront at all times. And as Mika said, putting our greatest effort toward collaborating is what's going to continue to move this community forward. So I'm excited to think about the ways that we can creatively think about doing that as organizations and as individuals. And I think there is a lot of good potentially on the horizon if we can take account of our blind spots, do an audit, like you said, and think of the ways that we can work together to see them. Absolutely. Things are better in tandem, for sure. So until next week. Bye. Bye. This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.